to Paul. But let's dive in today to part two of our series, Make Room. Uh, we kicked it off last week, and, and the, the thesis of the series, essentially, or the, uh, really the, the premise of the series, is that in order for us to see a move of God in our life, we must make room for God. That in order for us to experience the power of God, we must make room for God. In order for us to experience more of the grace of God, we must make room for God. So we're talking in this series, in alliance with our 21 days of prayer, is how can we make some more room for God so we can enter into the fall season strong. And also, let me just say this for anybody wondering this. Uh, there is no shame in putting on your prayer list for your favorite team to win the Super Bowl, Okay. But only put it on there if it's the Baltimore Ravens, okay? That's just your pastor's request, all right? If it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, please do not put it on your list. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but not really, actually. Um, so, but, uh, but no, but uh, we're, we're in this series. And today I want to talk about a topic, and, and, and it's going to be my, my hope maybe for some of you um, maybe it, it broadens your perspective on the topic I want to speak to. We're going to look at a parable uh, from Jesus in Luke chapter 19. Um, I, I love how Jesus taught in parables, taught in story form. And he, he really shares on this idea of, of what biblically is called stewardship. Now, we often hear stewardship, you might think fiscal stewardship or financial stewardship. And uh, stewardship is not less than that, but it is actually far more than that. That God actually desires we steward the entirety of our life, not just our resources, but also our relationships, also our giftedness, also the influence he's given us, that we are called to steward all of our life. So my hope today, in fact, um, I'll, I'll give sort of the, the, the idea for today's message and really what we're going to conclude on is this idea God rewards and God blesses good stewardship. We're going to see that. And that in order for us to make room for more of God's blessing in our life, we must manage what God's entrusted us with according to his expectations. So my hope today is you get some direction on this area of our lives. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray as we open it up today. Uh, God, that you would speak to us. We believe that you're going to speak to us. We came expectant for you to speak to us. Uh, so we thank you for it. And uh, we just say we're ready to receive in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let me give a brief context of Luke chapter 19. If you are there, we're going to start in verse um, 11, I believe. And uh, But before we do... Uh, Jesus tells this parable to his disciples because they were asking Jesus about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it's the kingdom of Christ. And when we come to faith in Jesus, we enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and we can experience the kingdom here on earth, but it's, a, it's an imperfect experience because we're in a fallen humanity, a fallen world, that one day uh, we will be in eternity uh, we will be, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and we will be fully in the kingdom of God. But his disciples thought, oh, this kingdom is a natural kingdom. 
Like, oh, the kingdom of God. So they were going to Jerusalem, and they thought, man, we're going to see the kingdom of God. This is it. Like, uh, you know, they went live on Instagram. Like, they're like, hey, listen, I'm about to see Jesus' kingdom. Come on. You know, hashtag, you know, the kingdom. It's like they're, they're, they're getting excited. They're getting revved up. So, like, you know, Jesus is like, well, let me just tell you a story. And uh, he goes on to share what is written here in Luke chapter 19. And we'll pick up uh, verse 11. It says this. While listening to this, he went to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Uh, So he said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then have to, and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your menia has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Then the second came and said, Sir, your menia has earned five more. So fivefold. He then says, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came. Sir, here's your menia. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. We'll come back to that later. He says, you wicked servant. You knew Did you, that I am a hard man, taking what I did not put in, reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? (laughs) So he tells him this in this moment. He tells his parable. There's 10 servants. He references three. And I want to draw some principles, some truths from this uh, to really apply to our life on how we can be good stewards Before we dive in, I want to give you a working definition of stewardship. Stewardship is a word that we see, uh, one, it's it's an English word, which means to essentially manage um, somebody else's resource or property on someone's behalf. Biblically, uh, we see stewardship all throughout the Old and New Testament. And commonly, a good example of of a steward was Joseph. Uh, Joseph, um, if you know the scriptures in Genesis... For those of you who don't know, Joseph was a steward of a man named Potiphar of his house. So he, Joseph, was in charge of uh, taking care of Potiphar's house, his resource, and the people in the house. So Joseph was a steward. And and what we see biblically is stewardship is, and I want to give you a, a working definition. Now listen, if you are an English major in the room, I am aware this is probably a run on sentence. And I don't care, okay? (laughs) The definition is accurate. I did terrible in grammar in school. Come on, somebody. Hopefully that freed somebody up. Come on. I was a social science major. If you don't know what that is, it's for those who don't do well in science. Come on. Anybody else with me? (laughs) You like took chemistry and you're like, nah, player, okay? (laughs) That's why they created social science. It's like, what do we do with these people who who are not good at science and math? It's brilliant. Um, biblical stewardship, this is a working definition, 
is managing God's resources in accordance to his ways or his expectations for the development of his creation and for his glory. Again, I'm going to say it again. It's managing God's resources. We're going to get to this. What are God's resources? In accordance to his ways, his expectations. What's his expectations? Well, we start, we find them here in the word of God, his expectations for our life. And for the development of his creation, and it's for his glory. So here's the first uh, truth from this parable in Luke 19. I want you to grab hold of, and this is an important one. I think if you get nothing else out of it, get this first one, because without this, it is, it, is imp- it is almost impossible to have the mindset of a steward. Here's what it is, is that you have to acknowledge that everything you have is from God. Everything you have is from God. Everything you have. In this parable, the king gives them each 10 minas. So he gave them for them. They did not earn them. They did not get them apart from him. And Jesus tells this parable, really, and, and James tells it more plainly in James 1, 17. James, the brother of Jesus, when he says that every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. So James says everything, not most things, not some things, everything comes from God. The Father of heavenly lights, he's referring to God's lordship over creation. The Bible says the earth is his and the fullness thereof. So he's saying that God over all of creation, everything you have is from him. And then he throws in, but he's not like the shifting shadows. In other words, God is the creator. He is not the created. So he reminds us everything we have is from him. And can I tell you, we must not forget everything we have is from him. Maybe you're thinking, saying, Jeremy, I earned the money I have. And I would say you are correct. But who is the God who gave you the skill to do the job where you earned the money? Who is the God who created your mind that earned the degree to which you now are able to earn money? Who is the God who put breath in your lungs that enables you to get up tomorrow morning to do the work that earns the money. Are you following me, church? Everything is his. And and listen, this is important. We must understand that I own nothing. I steward everything. Everything is his. Everything I have, I am a steward for a moment. James even says life is but a vapor. Here today gone tomorrow. You are a steward. You are a steward in the moment of time that is a vapor. You are not the owner of what you have. And we must honor the original intent of the owner. Because it's not mine, I don't determine what I do with what I have. I look to him for what I have. I was reminded recently I had, for those who are new, I have three children. My youngest, Abigail, uh, she went into one of her siblings' room the other day, and she grabbed, we're a big fan of, we're a big fan of books in the Burroughs household, 
And she grabbed this handful of books off the shelf. And, and this, this, one of my other children, uh, they, they came to Abigail and they said, Abigail, what are you doing? Those books are mine. And snatched them. And then she, I have some books up here this morning with me. She, she grabbed the books very forcefully and, and she held them. Uh, these are not their books. These are my books. Um, <laughs> They're reading Bible doctrine and the New Testament in its world. Uh, you know, light reading for a six-year-old. Um, she's holding the books like this. They're mine. <laughs> Come on, how many know parents? You don't have to teach your kids the word mine, right? Come on, right? It just comes on out. Uh, sometimes adults still act like that. Come on, somebody. We're going to pray for you after service. You still got that mind spirit. <laughs> she's, and then the, and my, 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 my child was like this. So I came to all three of them. They're all in the room. And as a, as a dad moment, very gently but very directly, I said, I said, actually, mom and dad bought those books. So they're mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to share those books. And I taught them in that moment, and I said, listen, if mom and dad see you share those books, I'm more likely to get you more books. But if I see that mind spirit come on over you, <laughs> I don't want to get you anything else. Can I tell you in the same way I want my kids to understand that it is I who determine how to manage the resources I've entrusted to you? Church, God determines how you are to manage the resources he's entrusted to you. You are a steward, not an owner. Sometimes, I'll put these away from now, these light reading. Uh, sometimes, though, we can, what can get in the way of our stewardship is not just that we have an owner mentality and not a steward mentality. Is that we also can maybe fall under the... the false understanding that somehow what we have, let me put it this way, that somehow God will not provide for what we need. Philippians 4.19 says this, the Apostle Paul. In fact, this is a recurring theme we see in the New Testament. He says this, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He says, my God will supply all of your needs. Now, let me give a caveat. He's not saying I will supply all of your desires. You're like writing on your prayer list, I want a Maserati Jesus. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you need a Honda, right? <laughs> but, but he's saying I'll supply all of your needs. Here's a recurring theme we see with both Paul and Jesus. I'll point out those two. Jesus said this, if you seek first the kingdom of God all the other things will be added unto you. So we see this idea that God will provide for you. Here's what we see taught. Paul said this, that God would do exceedingly abundantly and above more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. There's a recurring theme that we serve a God of abundance. Say this way, that we serve a God of more than enough, not a God of barely enough. That he is a God who will provide for every need. Now listen, here's a mindset I want you to evaluate in yourself. And please hear this. There is no condemnation in Christ. 
But Paul is trying to, to lead people into an abundant mindset and away from a scarcity mindset. See, a scarcity mindset believes God's resource is finite. An abundant mindset believes God's resource is infinite. A scarcity mindset says there might not be enough. An abundance mindset says there's more than enough. A scarcity mindset, listen, when you have a scarcity mindset, here's a telltale symptom. And I, I've, I've struggled with this in my past, so please feel no condemnation. A scarcity mindset that you view somebody else's success as your loss. That if they're blessed, it somehow takes from me. So I have a hard time celebrating the fact that you're getting married because I want to get married. I have a hard time celebrating your promotion because I want a promotion. Because we believe if you win, I lose. An abundant mindset says our God is big enough for you to succeed and me to succeed. For you to be blessed and for me to be blessed. A scarcity mindset will always lead to more anxiety. An abundant mindset will give you incredible security. Because you believe my God will supply all of my needs. A person who struggles with a scarcity mindset will hoard and hide what they have. This is also a telltale sign. A person with an abundance mindset, they are extravagantly generous. Because they know God will supply all of my needs. So I do not have to act as if this will run out. Because the Bible's clear. Those who sow generously reap generously. Paul says he supplies seed for the sower... And he will enrich you on every occasion so you can be generous on every occasion. So Paul constantly is reinforcing in every church, God will meet your needs. You can trust God. It reminded me last fall, it was right after Halloween, the kids had gotten, they received all this candy. And as a good parent, we, we took the candy. Come on, somebody. And, and we put it up in the pantry. Now, I may or may not have taken all the Skittles still up for debate. But I do teach my kids the importance of a dad tax. Come on, I'm trying to prepare them for life. Uh, I'm trying to teach them biblical generosity of tithing. Like first, tithe to your father right now with your candy. Come on. Uh, And it benefits me. So, but we had it up in the pantry. About two or three days in after they got all this candy, I think it was Christina, she was cleaning out one of my children's uh, dressers. And in the underwear drawer of one of my children was a stash of candy. They were hiding and hoarding candy. In their underwear drawer, I'm like, your underwear about to smell like Starburst. <laughs> and, and we went to them. We said, why are you hiding candy? They were scared there wasn't going to be enough. And I said, your father did eat your Skittles, but everything else is there. <laughs> Listen, a scarcity mindset will lead to fear in your life. It will lead you hiding out and hoarding things that God wants you to live open-handed with. Can I t- you got to catch this, church. You have to, to be a proper steward. You have to acknowledge everything I have is from him. Every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift. Number two is this. We are then called to put God's resources to work. So I, I'm assuming now we all agree, or at least we at least you understand the point, that it's all God's. 
So it's not your resources. That's why I didn't say put your resources to work. They're not your resources. They're God's resources. And in the parable, the king says, put my money to work. And we are called to put the resources God has given us to work. He came back in verse 15. And when the king returned, he wanted to see what they had gained for him. He wanted a return on his investment. It made me think about, you know, when you go to work tomorrow, or you sign into whatever online platform you use for work, uh, whatever job you are performing, you probably received a roles and responsibilities document. You probably received some form of expectation or at least minimally goals of like, here's the marks you have to hit or here's what I expect you to do at work. Like your employer compensates you, right? They give you money and benefits and all of that in exchange for you performing these expectations. So they pay you with these expectations. And, and, and so you don't go into work tomorrow and say, well, I'll just, you know, they don't say, hey, listen, do whatever you want. <laughs> no, they're like, you need to do these things, right? Can I tell you, God gives us resource. God entrusts you with things, and he has an expectation for how you manage them. Those expectations can be found in his word. That's why if you are a follower of Jesus, it is contingent upon us to search out those expectations in his word. Do you know this Bible is full of expectations and instructions on how we are to relate and steward our relationships? Do you know that? Like, for example, the Bible says when someone offends you, we who claim Christ are actually supposed to forgive them as Christ forgave us. That there's, there's instructions on how we're to steward our time. There's, there's a verse making the best use of our time. There's, there's, there's tons of scripture on how we manage our resource. All in this, the expectations are there. God's given us expectations, and he's expecting a returnally investment. Genesis 128, God gives the first command he ever, ever gave to humanity, and he's communicating what he expects to return on the investment he's made into our life. And here's what it says in the Bible, that God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. If you ever, this is, write this down, ready? If you ever needed a biblical reason to justify you eating steak, it's that scripture right there. <laughs> I'm just taking my lordship over the land, Right? Come on, somebody. He didn't just say eat kale. He said, go ahead and take rule over those fish. Come on, somebody. I like me some mahi. Come on. The birds of the air. Come on. I like the birds that walk like chickens, but, you know, that wasn't in my notes. But if you just needed one, you need, a, you need, a, you need some kind of biblical justification why you're going to eat that eight-ounce ribeye tonight. There you go. Come on. Just say, I'm fulfilling God's command in my life. He says, I, he says, be fruitful and multiply. That's the first. If you ever want to know the nature of God, you know, I don't know what your perception of God is or what it was growing up. Sometimes we can, and maybe you were in an environment where you felt like maybe you grew up in a church environment. Maybe it was taught that God was sort of a, you know, his first instructions were more like what not to do. You know, God said, be fruitful and multiply. His first instructions were life-giving. 
He wasn't then telling what they can't do. He said, go ahead and enjoy life. Now listen, be fruitful and multiply does include children, but that's not, you know, we know not everyone are called to have children, but it includes far more than that. If you've ever thought to yourself, be fruitful and multiply, it's a very broad meeting. Let me say this, and, and, and I want to clarify theologically to help understand, because some of you may hear what I'm about to say, and, and potentially because of previous teaching or things you've heard can misperceive it. It is God's will in your life for you to increase. It is God's will for finances to increase. It is God's will for your influence to increase. It is God's will for you to have an increase of influence. That is the will of God. How do I know that? He says be fruitful and multiply. If you multiply something, it increases something. Now listen, here's what I want to speak to. This idea of God increasing. There's, there's, there's two teachings that are common in Christendom, which I want to say this. I, I, I think, it, I think it's, it's perverted God's original intention in the scriptures. One is what we call the prosperity gospel. On a side note, if anybody puts a word next to gospel, it's a false gospel. Just, just to help you out. If someone's like, this is the, this is the social gospel, this is the... It's not the, the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get amen? amen? There's one gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, took on your sin for the sake of humanity so you can be forgiven and have a relationship with him and spend eternity in heaven. Can I get amen? amen. Listen, but that the, the stream of what's called prosperity gospel has perverted. Listen, God does want to bless you. Can I get Amen. But that, that form of teaching can sometimes, not, not, can sometimes err to the side that, man, well, man, God wants to just bless you so you can be blessed. Listen, scripturally speaking, to go back to Paul's teaching, God will enrich you on, God will enrich you, he says, here's why, so you can be generous on every occasion. Watch this. God blesses you so you can be a blessing. God prospers you so you can bless others. So I want you to get this in your spirit. God does want to bless you. He's clear. He wants you to multiply. He wants you to increase. Here's the other perverted teaching sometimes. And some, some segments of Christianity, they will teach that somehow to be in, in poverty is more holy. That is also not true. Can I just free somebody up? Your level of wealth has nothing to do with your, stand, your, your, your position with God. Like you, you're, whether you, you, you fall on the side of feeling like you don't have enough or you fall on the side of being like, man, I got lots of wealth, that has nothing to do with how God sees your holiness. Like those are false teachings in the church. But listen, God does want you to increase. And this is stewardship, to be fruitful and multiply. Listen, the gifts that God has given you, some of you have the gift of creativity. God has given you those gifts to develop and increase. Can I get an amen? God has given you the gift of leadership. God has given you those gifts to develop and to increase. God gives you gifts. And listen, it honors God when you develop your gift and you grow in influence when you do it for his glory and in his name. We see this even publicly. 
I think of Steph Curry in basketball. He has been open about his faith. Come on, can I tell you? Yeah, he probably has a tendency to shoot three-pointers, but I also know that man spends hours in the gym. Are you following me, church? God has given you gifts to develop. God has given you gifts to multiply. Do you know what actually God calls an unfruitful person? This is the Bible, not Jeremy. He calls them wicked. He says, you're a wicked servant. We think of wickedness as gross immorality. God looks at wickedness as unfruitfulness. You know that word wicked means the original Greek? It actually means lazy and wicked. He says, you are a wicked and you're a lazy servant because you are not fruitful with what I gave you. Please, there's no condemnation. Here's, I hope you hear the heart of the scriptures. That man, whatever God's given you, God's called you to develop for the sake of blessing his creation. And so many of you do this. I was talking to a teacher first service. Man, I, I know I said it earlier, but I thank God for teachers. And I was telling them, man, God's gifted you this ability to teach. And you are blessing people in the name of Jesus when you teach those kids next week. Can I get an amen? Like, whatever gifts God's given you. God's given you resources. There's a lot of scripture how we manage our money. In fact, there's more scriptures on how you deal with money than there is prayer in the Bible. So there's tons of scriptures on how to manage your money. So we don't just figure it out on our own. We look, what, God, what do you say about this? And, and God desires increase. But he, here's what's most important to God. Here's what I want you to hear. God cares most about our heart motivation. When we do it for his glory and in his name to bless his creation, that honors God. Can I get an amen? We're called to be fruitful and multiply. Can I tell you the fruitfulness that God wants to see most out of our lives? And here's why I say it, because it's in the scriptures, Galatians 5, that God wants to see the fruit of the spirit. Do you know what he loves to see multiply in our life? Love, peace, joy, patience. Hey, if you ever wondered, how can I pray for you, pastor? Pray for my patience. Come on, somebody. I struggle with that one sometimes. Uh, Self-control, right? Do you know what God also wants to see out of the fruitfulness of our life? Is that we're making disciples. The final words of Jesus. Go forth and make disciples of all nations. Evaluate. How well are you making disciples in your life? Again, I don't say there's no, there's no condemnation. I say it for reflection. Are you living your life in such a way at work that it actually makes disciples? Are you raising your kids in such a way that it actually makes disciples? Do you manage your money and invest your money in a way that makes disciples? Because God really cares about all of us making disciples. And then in Luke 19, 21, I want you to hear this. So we have the first two servants, they take his demonia and they do tenfold, they multiplied, and fivefold. What does he say? You're a good servant. Good. And then the one that he calls wicked is, is Luke 19, verse 21, or verse 20, where he says to him, the, the, the servant says to the king, I was afraid of you, verse 21, because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. You know what's intriguing is, is this servant tells the king, you're a hard man. The first two servants did not say anything about that. And it's not recorded anywhere else. There is no indication from the scriptures that this man was hard. 
but he perceived him to be hard. And listen, I want you to hear this. This is a biblical principle of sowing and reaping. He perceived him as a hard man. So what did he get? He got a hard man. How we see God determines what we receive from God. How, how we see God is so important. In fact, A.W. Tozer, a theologian, says how we actually perceive God is the most important thing about you. It determines everything else. It's the most important thing is how you perceive God. Here's what I want to say. This man misperceived the king. Can we just be frank for a moment? Here's what we do know. Amanya was three months' wages for a farmer. He gave him 10, or 10 minyas, 30 months of wages he gave him. He called a man who gave him 30 months of salary a hard man. I'm like, if that's a hard man, send me some hard people. Come on, somebody. Like, send me all the hard people. <laughs> he had a misperception of this person. And here's what I want you to hear. That sometimes the reason we don't properly steward our life is because we have a false perception of God. It's because maybe it was the way you were taught. Maybe it was teaching in your home, consciously or subconsciously. Maybe it was a teaching in a church you grew up in. Maybe you grew up in a home where at a subconscious level, you were taught you cannot trust God. Or maybe you grew up in a church where you heard about God being harsh. And can I tell you this? If you perceive God as harsh, you will hide from a harsh person. So you will find yourself hiding from God because you view him as harsh, not as gracious. You, you don't see him as a God whose mercies are new every morning. Are you following me, church? Or maybe you grew up in an environment where there was a scarcity mindset and it was subconsciously or consciously taught to you that God is not a provider. So you, you go through life now thinking everything is on me. I got nobody. It's all on me. Because it was not taught to you that God will provide all your needs in his glory in Christ Jesus. Another way we can often get a misperception of God is because of our past pain. Pain can distort your perspective of God. I took my son to Legoland outside of Philadelphia uh, this summer. And they have this 3D movie theater. You go in, you put your 3D movie glasses on. Did a great job because they did this movie with like a boat. And literally as the boat's going through the water, like in the theater, they're splashing water on you. Although after a while, I was kind of like, all right, it's enough. All right, we got, we got the point. Okay, I'm wet. But it was funny because at one point, I took my glasses off, and I looked around to all these young kids, like, you know, three, four, five, six. In the 3D movie, they were, like, reaching for it. Have you seen this? Like before, in the 3D movie, kids were like, what in the world? Like, you know... And, and what happened? These glasses intentionally distort reality to have a better experience. Can I tell you, your past pain is like those glasses. And sometimes you have a distorted reality of who God is because your dad walked out on you when you were three years old. 
And because your dad walked out on you, maybe back then there was this belief that you came into agreement with that God is not good because my dad wasn't good. Or maybe someone mistreated you and you had this perception, well, God's not good because that wasn't good. Or maybe you grew up in financial hardship and you had this, man, God's not a provider. And can I say this? If, if, if maybe your misperception is due to, some, to past pain caused by someone else, the Bible does not promise us a perfect and just world. In fact, it more so promises us a world full of injustice and pain and offense and hardship. Please hear this. I say this gently and lovingly. Do not project hurt caused by an imperfect someone upon a perfect God. He gave us free will. He is a just God. In one day in a new heavens and new earth, the Bible says there will be no more pain, no more sorrow. Come on, your, your, your favorite football team will win every game. Come on. But, but, but listen, until then, we will face hardship. We will face pain. People will wrong you. People will hurt you. And here's my, here's my, here's my, my one final practical application I want to give you. Then we're going to move to point three. Is, is spend some time this week and, and maybe do some reflection with God and even ask God, God, are there any lies I am believing about you? Or maybe you've already, me talking, you've already caught. Like, yeah, I don't really believe God's good in this area of my life. Yeah, I've struggled believing God's a provider. Yeah, I, if you've identified those, is ask God, God, what is the truth about you? And uh, get that, because that's so important, church, for us to be good stewards. We have to see God accurately. He is good, the Bible says, and what he does is good. Amen? Here's point three. We're going to close with this point, is that God rewards good stewardship. He rewards good stewardship. The people, that, the, the, the two servants who, who multiplied, you know, I love how he rewards them. He's like, hey, you did, you multiply one minya into 10 minyas. Now I'm going to give you 10 cities. Think of how contrary it is to our Western culture. Our Western culture conditions us, hey, work hard for like 40 years and then take it easy. The kingdom of God's like, hey, you did really well. Here's more influence. Hey, can I encourage someone in the room? If you have breath in your lungs, you have purpose on this earth. And listen, we're, you need to rest. But I'll just say this. Full retirement of saying, I'm just going to pull back and not do nothing. That's not found in scriptures. And can I tell you this? I actually think this, and then we're going to move on. I, I didn't say this first service. I'm going to say this service. I actually think one of the ways of the enemy wants to limit the kingdom's effectiveness is he tells those who are more seasoned in life, hey, just pull back. There's no more use for you because he knows you bring a wisdom and a perspective and authority that scares all the demons in hell. So can I tell you, if you are 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, the world needs you more than ever before. Amen. First service didn't get that, so. <laughs> but sincerely, sincerely, 
You got purpose on this earth. I thank God for you. I really do. So he, he, he rewards those with more influence. So God is a rewarder. God rewards good stewardship. Listen, I want you to hear this. Both on earth. So he'll reward good, he will reward good stewardship of your influence with more influence. He'll reward good stewardship of your resource with more resource. He'll reward you for good stewardship. But, and we see this actually, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the Apostle Paul. I mentioned this first earlier, where he says, he's talking to the Corinthian church about their generosity to the church in Corinth. And he says, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Jesus said this, give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, runneth over. The scripture is very clear. When you steward well, God will bless you. Can I get amen? He'll bless you on this side of heaven. He will. It's in the, it's in the Bible. It's not Jeremy's opinion. It's, it's God. So I think of it this way. As a father, if I see my kids generous, which I wish it happened more than it did. Come on, parents. <laughs> I'm like, I want to give you more because I see you're open-handed. But when they... When they have that mind spirit, I'm like, I don't know if you can handle anymore. Can I tell you, biblically, it's the same for us. We are called, we steward our life, God will bless us. Let me give you a very practical challenge. Last week, it was this, our message, the practical challenge, which so many of you have really leaned into this. I said, give God the first of your day. The principle of the first all throughout scripture of giving God your first. And as I share this, the worship team can come. But I want to challenge you, we're going, to, we're going to go along the same lines of giving God your first, is give God the first of your resources. You've given God the first of your time, now give him the first of your resources. This isn't all of stewardship, but it is part of stewardship. Malachi 3, this is the word of the Lord speaking to Israel at this time. He speaks to this, and he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is the only time in the Bible you will see this phrase. Test me in this. The only time. It's the only time God says it. It's because Jesus said, wherever your treasure will be, your heart will be. So God really cares about where we put our money. He says, test me in this. He says, watch this. He says, okay, bring the whole tithe and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. Why? He's a loving father. He says, listen, if I see you're willing to be generous with my children, I see you're willing to be generous on my behalf, I will bless you abundantly, he says. So I want to challenge you to give God the first of your finances. Maybe for some of you this is a brand new concept, and listen, there's, there's no condemnation of wherever you are, but I want to challenge you. That, that word tithe simply means the first ten. It's the first. Can I tell you what, what, what giving to God is most about? It's not even about money because, remember, he is the, the creation and the fullness thereof is his. But it is about priority. He cares about being first. So when you give to God, we give to God before we pay our rent or mortgage because my landlord or my mortgage provider is not my provider He's my provider. Can I get amen? 
So I give to God first. And, and this is the starting block of generosity we see in the, in the scriptures and in the early church. That God, I'm gonna, and if 10% feels like a lot for you, man, just start somewhere. There's no condemnation. But I'm telling you, as you test God in this, test him in this, See that he will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing out. Why? Because you are blessed to be a what? Blessing. Blessing. And the storehouse is your local church. If it's here, it's Catalyst, it's here. If it's somewhere else, it's somewhere else. But you would, so there would be spiritual food in the house. Here's my last scripture. God, so God blesses us on this earth. But here's the most important one, is that God rewards us in heaven. These are the words of Jesus. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Which the little, what we have and all compared to God is little. That's why he says this. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who would trust you with true riches? So Jesus says, if you cannot handle money how I expect you to handle money, then I don't know if I can trust you with true riches. These are the words of Jesus. Because, listen, at the end of our life, in Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says he will repay all of us for what we've done on earth. At the end of our life, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will face the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me be clear. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you will be in eternity with him forever, solely based on that. It has nothing to do with what you've done or your works. However, we will all face the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand before King Jesus himself, and he will reward us based upon how we stewarded our life on earth. And he will not be concerned with how many letters are behind your name, with how much money you retired with, with how high you got up in your organization, with how many Instagram or TikTok followers you have. His concern is what did you do with that for my kingdom? And he will reward you. The Bible talks about crowns of life. He will reward us in heaven based upon what we do here on earth. So what we do here on earth really matters. This life is a vapor. Eternity is forever. I was thinking about, you know, we're starting a school year, and I remember last year, our kids, I remember when I was a kid, I had the same thing. We had the end of year school awards. Remember that when you were a child? Like, you got awards at the end of the year. I actually looked up what kind of awards they even give out now. I don't even, I don't even know. And it was kind of fun. One of the awards they give out is called the Happy Helper Award. Come on. One's called, this is my favorite one. It's called the Super Sharer Award. I want my kids to have that one in Jesus' name. I'm praying that for my kids right now, 21 days. Super Sharer. <laughs> uh, they had one too called the Awesome Attitude Award. That'd be a good one to get. But they award you based upon what you did in the school year. And in the same way, listen. Our time here on earth, how well we steward our resource, our relationships, our influence, our giftedness for the sake of his kingdom, he will reward us in heaven. Here's my hope, church. So what's our response? 
you can fill up that final definition, is that we manage God's resources. Remember, it's all his, it's not ours. In accordance to his expectations. What's his expectations? His word. For the development or for the blessing of his creation, the blessing of other people, and for his glory. That's what we're called to do.